0: Miss a lot, but the Grinch, who lived just north of Whoville, did not. The Grinch hated Christmas the whole Christmas season. Now, please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. It could be that his head wasn't screwed on just right. It could be perhaps that his shoes were too tight. But I think that the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small, but whatever the reason his heart, or his shoes, he stood there on Christmas Eve, hating the Who's, staring down from his cave with a sour, grinchy frown at the warm-lighted windows below in their town. Do these words trigger any certain feelings? Can you just imagine what thoughts are going on in that fuzzy green head? With the impending Whoville Christmas, the Grinch immediately started plotting how to deal with the upcoming holiday season the grinch's small heart was driving his hatred of christmas can you relate to the grinch you don't have to answer out loud when christmas comes around do you dread it do you plot how to get through it or maybe you're the opposite maybe you try to create the perfect holiday and you spend all your time planning the perfect gifts the perfect meals and the perfect decorations whatever path you might take I feel that it's so easy to forget what is truly at the heart of Christmas. Today, we're going to answer that question. What is at the heart of Christmas? And look in a place you may not have expected. But I'm sure it's a passage you all know well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We know John 3.16, and often put it in our back pocket and take it for granted. We might think, yeah, I've heard this before. I know this verse. But there are so many glorious realities in this verse. This verse provides the big picture of God's redemptive plan rooted in the incarnation. John 3.16 shows that the purpose of the incarnation of Christ is to save God's people from spiritual death, and give them eternal life. There's a deep ocean of truth in these words. So, I want to kick off the Christmas season by unwrapping four very special gifts from this text. The first gift we're going to open is the gift of God's love at the incarnation. At its core, the incarnation and virgin birth of Jesus is motivated by God's love. God is love. He loves because of who he is. And God is perfectly and completely good in who he is and in all that he does. God's love is an expression of his goodness. Because he is loving, God willingly and unselfishly works redemption by sending Jesus into this broken world. God loves us by not holding our sins against us. He imputes our sin to Christ and credits his righteousness and obedience to us. That's so amazing, and we don't deserve that kind of love in any way. And we easily forget that. We might think, I'm not that bad. I'm quite lovable, actually. But we can really only fathom the depth of God's love when we see how sinful and wretched and grinchy we are. His boundless love shines all the more brightly as we see the darkness of our sin. John 3 16 implies the brokenness and wickedness of the world. We need saving. We need mercy and love, because without that, there's no hope. Our spiritual disease needs a remedy only God can provide. But God's love is so astounding in that he shows his love to vile, wicked sinners. Think about it. If God loved people who are lovable, then that's not that big a deal. Yet God so loved the world, filled with cruelty, animosity, and rebellious people marred by sin who want nothing to do with him. There is nothing of worth in this world for God to love. Nothing could merit his love. Yet, in the midst of sinful humanity, God displays his love in sending Jesus so that people don't have to perish for their wickedness. His love is so lavish. He so loved. The word so describes God's love because it's hard to fully capture the richness and the depth of it. We can't even put it into words. His love is so great, so wonderful, and sacrificial in nature. And the beautiful thing is that nothing forced God to love us. God is free from his own desire and heart. God created us, communicated to us through scripture, and made a way to save this ruined humanity. From his own desire, he chose to love us. This is good news. The second gift we can unwrap from this passage is the gift of God himself. As Spurgeon says, God gave God for us. He gave himself. And that's so true. God gave the ultimate gift. He gave his son. He gave the eternal word, who was in the beginning with God and who was God. What else could God give us? In giving himself, he gave us his all. He sent Jesus, fully God, united with perfect manhood to earth. And Jesus willingly came to earth and was born in a stable he labored and toiled in a carpenter's shop he suffered hunger thirst poverty and slander from the religious leaders he endured beating and a crown of thorns he hung on a cross bore sin and experienced pain and torture as the father looked away why would he do this because god so loved the world that he gave his son to go through all of this to save sinful souls. This was his eternal purpose. When Adam sinned in the garden, God promised a deliverer. Throughout the Old Testament, God told his people that there would be rescue. And that's what happened. God gave the gift of his son to bring about the promised redemption. And that's the greatest gift ever. The third gift we're going to open is the gift of faith and eternal life. God sent his only son to earth in the incarnation to accomplish salvation. Through Jesus' perfect obedience in life and his sacrificial death and resurrection, God the Holy Spirit then works in people's hearts and causes them to believe and respond in faith. Saving faith is a gift. This is not a saving faith based on good works. This faith is not subjective. It's founded on objective truth. And truth is truth whether we agree with it or not. And true, genuine faith is a faith in Christ alone, trusting him and his authority and power to save. Also, saving faith is more than just a mental assent to the facts. But saving faith is a heart that loves and is satisfied in Jesus. Faith is a gift only God can give. The gift of faith meets every spiritual need a believer has. It encompasses God's promise to fully forgive sin. It delivers believers from the wrath of God. It includes their legal standing before God. They're freely justified. It includes the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. It includes spiritual adoption. It includes the gift of eternal life. Believers will never be separated from God, both in this life and forever in heaven. A believer's eternal state is secure. There's assurance here. They will not perish, but have eternal life. Nothing can take that away. Nothing can change their eternal destiny. There is abundant joy and incredible blessings awaiting them in heaven. And believers can rest in this great promise. God is faithful and true, and he will fulfill all that he has promised. So, we have the gift of love, God himself, and faith and eternal life. Our last gift to unwrap is the gift of belief. Why is this gift important? The text says God gave his only son that whoever believes in him will have the gift of eternal life. There's great inclusion here. God's salvation is for the world. Belief overcomes any barrier. Your pain, your hurt can't keep you from Christ. It doesn't matter what you've done or how much you've sinned. Your sin won't keep you from Jesus if you repent and believe in him. Life is promised to all who believe in Jesus. However, in some ways, there is exclusion in this passage. The text includes believers but excludes unbelievers. The only barrier to eternal life is unbelief. As Piper says, and I quote, the love of God is sufficient to save the world, but efficient to save those who believe. Efficient means his love actually saves believers. It's effective in saving them from perishing, end of quote. God did not love the world so that people who refuse to believe in him can find salvation. Some people assert that God sent Jesus to die for the salvation of every single person as a possibility. But I don't think God sat around in heaven fretting, I hope someone chooses to get saved today. I believe, as would other commentators, that if this were the case, it's pretty safe to say that no one would be saved. Because in all actuality, in our fallen, sinful state, none of us would choose God. In our sin, we want to run from Jesus. That's why we need God to intervene and give us this gift of belief. Again, like I mentioned, I believe that Jesus didn't die with the potential of saving people, hoping some would respond. Rather, Jesus particularly died and atoned for the sin of his elect. Jesus frequently says in the Bible, that those who the Father gives him will come to him and be saved. Whoever repents of their sins and turns to Christ is given this gift of belief and faith and eternal life. God only opens the eyes of the elect. This gift of belief depends on the effectual call of the Holy Spirit in a person's heart, which brings regeneration and causes them to respond in faith. So it seems as though John 3.16 talks about the special love God has for his children, whom Jesus specifically died for. So the word world and whoever imply that Jesus' saving work is not constrained to one specific time or place or even just the nation of Israel. But rather, his saving work applies to all of the elect, throughout history, in every place. God has eternally loved his chosen people. He atoned specifically for each and every sin his people commit so that nothing can prevent God from calling them his children. All of these gifts are so amazing. They all come with a promise. They also come with a warning. But first, let's look at the promise. God fulfills his redemptive promise through the Incarnation. The hope of the world resides with a baby in a manger. God's purpose in the Incarnation is all about saving sinners. Really? Celebrating Christmas is celebrating the gifts of John 3.16, God's love. Jesus' sacrifice, the gifts of faith and eternal life and belief. Christmas is a celebration of salvation. And it's important that we understand that. But it's also vitally important to see Jesus' warning in the text as well. Those who don't believe in Christ will perish. Perishing is the opposite of eternal life. And perishing doesn't mean going out of existence. Everyone continues in their existence forever. So perishing means eternal punishment. It means eternal torment in hell. It means being completely separated from the goodness of God. These ideas are implied in John 3.16, but a few verses later in John 3.18, Jesus specifically says that those who do not believe are judged already. That's in the past tense. It's already happened. Unbelievers are currently sitting under God's judgment. Consider the weight of that. Go even a little further. To John 3 36 and we're told that for those who do not obey Jesus the wrath of God abides on them that has a present and future application to it not only are unbelievers under God's wrath now they will be for all eternity they will dwell continually in torment and pain under the just judgment of God we can't ignore this this is something we can't escape Every single person must face the question of what happens after death. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and there is no salvation apart from him. And your eternal destiny relates to how you respond to him and the gospel. If you have not submitted your heart to him, believe in Jesus. If you are saved, don't take your salvation lightly. Truly think about the blessing of being a beloved child of the king. God took your heart, which was 10,000 times too small, and transformed it to love him. So this Christmas, truly reflect on these words. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. As you can see, there's a lot to unpack from John 3.16, and we can't take this truth lightly. This verse is at the core of the Christmas message. See, this is what the Grinch didn't know. He was embittered against the holiday. The Grinch had no idea as to what Christmas was all about. The Grinch didn't respond to love. The love the Who shared at Christmas repulsed him so much that he planned to destroy their Christmas. So, are we like the Grinch? Or do we live like children of God? We need to know what Christmas is truly about. We need to put these gifts from John 3.16 in use. They can't just sit under the tree. We need to let the truth of Christmas shape our lives. What are some of the ways we can do that? First, we should respond in humility to God's love. Are you in awe of how much God loves you, or do you take it for granted? We don't deserve a love so great, so selfless, so complete. Let your heart be humbled. The creator of the universe chose you and has eternally loved you before the world was made. He sent his only son to accomplish your salvation so that you can believe and have eternal life. So this Christmas season, meditate on that. Think about the meaning of the incarnation. And I hope your contemplation causes you to explode in joyful worship. There's something else we should consider. Knowing who God is reminds us of how we should respond to him. God is not an impersonal being or some force out there in the cosmos. He's the omnipotent creator. He sustains the entire universe. God is independent. He doesn't have needs. Rather, he is the one who meets our needs. Everything depends on him. He is the giver of life and breath and everything else. God is infinitely worthy in his greatness, value, and perfection. He is the measure of all things. He is eternal. He is the God who loves righteousness and justice. He loves what is good and hates what is wrong. He is holy, holy, holy. The one who can't even look upon sin. He is the God we've sinned against. And as his creatures, we owe him everything. Our worship, our love, our obedience. So sinning against him turning away from him and rejecting him is an infinite offense to his infinite glory and worth that's why we need the gifts of john three sixteen. we need the love of god to rescue us from the wrath of god and make us right in his sight and that's the gift he's given through his son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life so how else should we respond other than with worship and thanksgiving. Knowing him and glorifying his name gives our life its meaning and purpose. We should respond by honoring him and making God first in our lives. One last thing we need to remember this time of year is to keep Christmas about Christ. Sadly, our culture attempts to take Christ out of Christmas The world tells us that christmas is all about the parties the presents and the food but christmas is about the savior who brings salvation to the world to celebrate christmas without comprehending jesus's saving purpose is to miss what christmas is all about and that's something satan wants us to forget about as believers satan doesn't want us to remember that christmas is all about christ He doesn't want us to think about God's extraordinary love. That's true for unbelievers as well. He wants people to downplay their sin. He will work to foster their natural bitterness against God. He wants Christmas to be just another day on the calendar. So as God's children, whom God so loves, let's never forget to rejoice in the redemption Jesus brings in the Incarnation don't be the Grinch. Don't get so wrapped up in the non-essentials of Christmas that you miss the point, that you miss the manger, that you miss the cross, that you lose sight of the gospel. Let's pray.